There was a, a homeless man. He lived near the Fulton Fish Market. On the Lower East Side of Manhattan, the slimy smell of fish carcasses and entrails nearly overpowers him. He hates the trucks that noisily arrive before sunrise, but Midtown gets crowded, and the cops harass him there. So, so he, so he leave, lives down by the wharves where nobody bothers him, and keeps and he keeps to himself. And he sleeps on a loading dock behind, behind some dumpsters. Each morning. When the workers are slinging eel and halibut off the trucks, yelling to each other in Italian, he, he rouses himself and pokes through the dumpsters behind the tourists' restaurants. And an early start guarantees good pickings, and, and his search doesn't go unrealized when he finds last night's uneaten garlic bread, french fries, nibbled pizza, and even a wedge of half-eaten cheesecake that hadn't yet settled into the dumpster goo in the bottom. He eats what he can, and, and then he pokes the rest in a brown paper bag, and the bottles and cans he stuffs in a plastic bag and in his rusty shopping cart. The morning sun, pale, through the harbor fog, finally makes its way over the buildings by the wharf. He, he's trudging down the street, eyes down, not seeing anything but his feet. Then he sees a ticket. It, it, was, it was from last week's lottery, and, and it's lying in a pile of wilted lettuce, and he almost goes by it, but almost from simple force of habit, he picks it up and jams it into his pocket. In the old days, when luck for him was better, he used to buy one ticket a week, but no more. Times were tough now. It's past noon when he remembers the, the now crumpled ticket buried deep in his pocket. He fishes it out and holds it up to the newspaper box to compare the numbers on the ticket. One number, two numbers, three numbers match the fourth, the fifth, all seven. It can't be. It can't be. Things like this don't happen to bums. Bums don't win the New York lottery. He goes back again and again, and again, and rechecks his numbers, comparing it against the numbers on the paper. To this, this mounting shock that he fills within him, amazement, each time he checks the numbers, and he gets the same outcome. It's true. All the numbers, all the numbers match. Later that day, he's squinting into the bright lights as the television crew presents the newest media darling. 
an unshaven, baggy-pants homeless man who will receive $243,000 per year for the next 20 years. A well-dressed lady pokes or, or walks over and pushes a microphone in his face and asks, how do you feel? <laughs> he stares back, dazed, and catches a whiff of her perfume. It's been a long time. It's been a very, very long time since anyone has asked him that question. He feels like a man who has been to the edge of starvation. He feels like a man who has been to the bottom, the very goo of life, and just begins to fathom the idea that he'll never feel hungry again. So if you were the recipient of these winnings, how would you feel? What are the, some of the ideas that would race through your mind if you were having this same experience? Have you been given something? Something of great, great value today? What was your response? As you were told of this great gift, what were the ideas racing through your mind? There's a, a parable I would invite you to, to look with me today. It's really found very similar stories. One is found in Matthew chapter 22. And the other account it's shared with us in Luke chapter 14, 16, and 17. That's where I'm going to read today. Matthew 22, starting with verse 1. You'd open your Bibles there. If you haven't brought your Bible, I will also present it on the screen so you can look at it there. I love the New Living Translation. I think it speaks in a language that I can understand. So that is the translation that I will use this morning. Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 1, it's the, the parable of the, wedding, of the wedding banquet. Jesus spoke to them again a parable, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who, who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but, but they all refused to come. Then he sent some, uh, some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Luke 14, 16, and 17 says something very similar, but much shorter. It says, Then he said to him, A certain man gave a, a great supper and invited many, and sent his, his servant at supper time to say to those 
who were invited, come for all things are now ready. There is a meal prepared. Jesus is telling a story. Jesus is telling a story of, of a lavish Middle Eastern meal. Great generosity. It was the marriage, it was the marriage celebration of a son. But this is not just, just any son. This is a royal feast paid for by a king. Not only was the food being provided, but this was a feast where everything that can add to the present comfort and everlasting happiness, right down to the clothing for each guest, was presented. So everybody had opportunity. Who are the guests in this story? Who were the guests in the story that Jesus is telling? Who was being invited? What? You? Yeah? Yeah. As we step back from the story and we look at history, those who were invited first were, of course, the Jews. When the prophets in the Old Testament were ignored, Jesus sent John the Baptist. Then came Jesus saying the kingdom, or excuse me, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. After Jesus' resurrection, his disciples, apostles and missionaries of the gospel, were sent to invite everyone to come and persuade all to accept the offer. So all through history, through the dark ages, through the beginning of time on this earth, up until the present day, God has been sending his servants to proclaim one simple message. One simple message to come, for all things are now ready. As we look at this parable of Jesus, what was the response of this, this message? A, a response to this message of come for all things are now ready. What was the response? What? They refused. Yeah, they refused. He sent his servants in, in, in verse 3 of Matthew 22. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he, sent, then he sent more servants to come. More servants to come. I want to take a, a, a detour. I, I think it's interesting that Jesus pointed this out. And I wrestle with this. I wrestle with these next verses. We have a, a wonderful church here. A wonderful, loving church here. But some are not so blessed. 
some uh, experiences in life, there are churches that don't accept what the servant of God is saying. What does Jesus say? What does it say here? Matthew 22, 5 through 7. What did they say to the servants? Verse 5. But, but they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. And this is, this is where I begin to struggle. The king was enraged and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. Wow. Would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings? 2 Kings chapter 2. I've struggled with this idea sometimes. We have servants go out preparing a message and going out into the world to share it. And it's refused. Many times not refused in a positive way. It's just no, th it's not no thank you, but it's abuse. Elijah, there's an experience with bears. I'm not going to read it. I think that there's something Jesus is driving at here. What is the message that Jesus is driving at here? I've wrestled with this idea, Jesus, Why? Why, when we look into conference, when we look into the world, people who are working for you are, are being mistreated? I've prayed about this very often. Where are the bears, right? Where are the bears? Before I preached a sermon in Pilot Rock, I was praying about this, kind of wondering, what's, where is God's slow hand? And I was standing in front of the mirror combing my now beard. And the idea popped into my mind. The verse, really. It's a verse that I've read before. It's a verse that I've preached before. It says, I am not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. I said, wow. The Old Testament God gave us as an example of how we can live and how we can walk with and we can guide and we can instruct. Also, there are experiences where it's not favorable and we can look at those and we can say, how does God react to this? So I'm reminded as we sit here 
how do we lift up those who are leading in this church? Your elders, your deacons, your deaconesses all do great work here. Um, how are we lifting up those who are guiding and directing this church in prayer? I pray that that is the case. I think that it is. And I rejoice when I hear it. So let's move on here in Luke chapter 14, verse 18 through 20. The disciples heard a story. Let's shift gears now to Luke 14, starting with verse 18 and going to 20. There are some excuses that are mentioned or reasons. Maybe I shouldn't. Well, they are excuses. Verse 18 says that they are excuses. Luke 14, starting with verse 18, it says, But they all in like began to make excuses. The first said, I, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another, he said, I, I have just bought a five yoke of oxen and, and I'm on my way to try them out. Are you there? Please, please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so, so I can't come. Are these good reasons? Is, are these good reasons? I think they're great reasons. I mean, really, is it wrong to be married or get married? No, no. Is there anything wrong with buying property? No, there's nothing wrong with buying property. What are some of the other reasons? I just bought a, a car, and I want to go test it out, right? I bought a house. It's comfortable, and it's a nice place to live. Is there anything wrong with that reason? No, I don't think there's anything wrong with those reasons. I think that they're very valid, legitimate reasons, period. Here's the rub. The reason why many Christians and, and non-believers alike do not come to Christ and salvation by Him is not because we cannot, but instead because we will not. We, we are careless. Multitudes perish forever simply because of carelessness. We show no, no direct refusal, but, but are careless as to our souls. Business and profit uh, of worldly in employment hinder many in coming close to their Savior. Both farmers and merchants must be diligent doers. There's nothing wrong with going and doing because whatever our hand finds to do, we're called to do it with all our might. But whatever we have of the world in our hands, 
we must keep it off the throne of our hearts or it will come between us and Christ. Here we see in this parable uh, of utter ruin that, that comes upon not only the Jewish nation, but everyone who ignores the pleas of God's messengers. Not only do they ignore the call, but they also persecute and call God's, and, and kill God's messengers. It is so much to do with priorities. It's not so much doing it. It's where is it in relation to everything else? Is God on my throne or are my stuff? Is God on my throne or is the new field that I'm, that I'm wanting to go look at? Is God on my throne or is it my relationships? Who's first? I can look at my life and I can say, Gary, what's on your throne? And I have to ask myself, is it worship? Is it time spent with you? Because if it is, that's going to be my priority. That's going to be my number one. Many times, unfortunately, it's not. But that should be my first. Jesus Christ, what would you have me do today? Show me from your word what you want of me. That is setting the priority. And as, as I race out sometimes in the morning, and I set out to do the tasks that are set out in front of me. Is God or my activities on the throne? I have to pause and look at my life and say, God, where are you in my life? Once a week or every day? Once a year? Or are you every moment? We're invited to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. I, I, I pray, friends. How do we draw close to God? How do we spend that thoughtful hour with the Lord in our daily time? So in... in the pursuing of, of the king, in the invitation of the king, the message went out. Does he give up sending invitations? The messenger go goes out and he says, come, come. Does he give up on sending out the invitations? No. Most definitely he does not give up. The audience, though, changes. Or the recipients of this invitation change. Who does he invite? What? Those on the streets, Matthew chapter 22, 8 through 10, it says, Then he said to the servants, The wedding banquet is ready. 
but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Filled with guests. Who does he invite? Well, here I've highlighted the bad as well as the good. It's interesting to me to see the recipients or the people that he invited. It's not just the good that he invites. It is the bad. God calls everyone the call goes out to the bad as well as the good, to the undeserved, the, the outcast, the incast, the rich, the middle class, the poor, the, the able, the maimed, and the lame, and the blind, the powerful, the, the disenfranchised, the men, the women, the straight, the homosexual, and the gay. He calls the good and the bad to come. The call goes out to everyone, not just the holy, not just the good, but also the bad. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. So after the wedding hall was filled with guests, the king went out to mingle. What was discovered in this mingling? We know the story. Verse 11, But when the king came out in, in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was, who was not wearing wedding clothes. It's, it's important to understand, and it's important to note the words that Jesus used in verse 12. What did he say? What? How, how did you come in here without a wedding garment, friend? And the man was speechless. Speechless. The king came in to, to view the guests. He had been providing wedding clothes to every guest at the feast. These clothes were, were a gift from the king. In this parable, Jesus tells of one man who was not wearing wedding clothes. He said, he said, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? There's, there's no reproof. There's no scorn. There's no condemnation in the words of Jesus. In fact, he calls him friend. So what are these garments? Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 if you want, and let's read 26 and 27. Are you his friend? Are you 
Jesus' friend? And are you wearing his garment? Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 26. It says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Who does you include? This you includes Tracy, right? This you includes Al, right? This you includes you. This is you. This is me here. It says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Are, are you that you? Are you that you? Yes. Should be a resounding yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. I am that you. I am part of that you. For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen indeed. For as many of you as we're baptized, have you been baptized? Yes. So you are that you. You belong to that you. You've put on Christ. You are a new creature. You've been baptized into Christ. You've put on Christ. This, this, map, this man, he was baptized into Christ. He was baptized into Christ, but... But somewhere along the lines, he refused the robe. It was extended, but he said, I don't know, for whatever reason, no thank you. He was not wearing Christ. This wedding garment in the, in the parable represents the pure, spotless character which Christ's followers will be wearing. To the church. It's given that she should be arrayed in fine linen clothes, clean and white, having, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. This fine linen is the righteousness of my own. Is that what it is? Whose righteousness is it? It is the righteousness of Jesus that clothes me because all my righteousness is as filthy rags yeah there is nothing i can do good enough to reach the level that jesus christ is right i can be doing everything just right and still i am not good enough if I do not have the robe of Christ on me. It is Jesus that covers even my filthy rags. So when God looks at me, who does he see? A pat on the back and says, that a boy, Gary, you're doing a great job. Is that what he does? No, he looks at me and he sees who? He sees Jesus, 
Though I stumble and I fall, he sees Jesus covering me. This fine linen is the righteousness of Christ that through faith his own perfect character is given to all who will receive him as their personal Savior. Hallelujah. Christ came to earth as man, lived a holy life, and developed a perfect character. This character he, he offers as a free gift to all who will receive them. His life stands for the life of man. They, they have forgiveness of sins that are past through, through, the, through the patience of God. More than this, Christ permeates. What does it mean to permeate? Our college students. What does it mean to permeate? Everything, right? Yeah, to permeate. It's interesting when I eat food, I take in my, my mouth liquid juice uh, and it comes in and just reaches my stomach and digests. Is that all that happens? No, the food comes in and it digests and the nutrients go to where? What? It goes everywhere. Yeah, right down to the smallest unknown whatever part of me. There's things that we don't even know about ourselves. It reaches that and it feeds that and it nutrifies the nutrient, gives nutrients to the whole system. That's what it means to permeate when I take part in communion. The same thing happens. The bread and the juice comes into our mouth and we pray that it become part of our system. That's what happens. Jesus fills us everywhere. It permeates our whole being. He permeates our whole being. He builds up. He, this is a statement taken from Desire of Ages, page 762, in case you're wondering. He builds up the human, human character after his likeness of the divine character, a goodly fabric of spiritual strength and be beauty. This is something he does. He does it. This is the fruits of the Spirit. In this way, the very righteousness of the, righteousness of the law is fulfilled in the believer in Christ. God can be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As it says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am certain that God, who began this work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He's begun it. He will do it, and he will complete it up to the day when he returns. So here we are today. unshaven baggy pants 
homeless people. We've received far more than $243,000 per year for the next 20 years. We've been handed a winning ticket. We've been handed Christ's robe of fine linen, clean and white. What is your choice today? Since you're a guest, since you've accepted the rope, robe, since you're wearing the robe, yeah, but I know me. I hear the accuser of the brethren. Words like, oh, I'm not good enough. I, I'll never measure up. I haven't done enough. I, I don't belong. Am, am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? That is me. But there is more. I would invite you to listen to this song. It is a Lauren Daigle song. Listen to the words.
You'll have every failure, God. You'll have.